welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hey, Diane, how's it going? Hi, Jen. It's great. <laughs> it's spring. I know. Spring has sprung. It has. <laughs> it's it's just, I, I just had to check before, like, I didn't realize how much the cold weather was affecting me until the warm weather came. And I, oh, just I know. was so happy. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. I saw this hilarious video today of a guy who who was like having a he, he like filmed himself and then filmed himself again, but he was playing the character of his own seasonal depression. <laughs> and he was like having a conversation with his seasonal depression about how happy he was that it was spring and he wouldn't have to see him for like another, you know, like eight months or whatever. And then like he's like, all right, we'll see you later, buddy. And then he turns around and there's another version of him standing next to him. And he's like, hey, it's me. Regular depression. <laughs> I was like. Yes. Oh, no. I feel this. I feel this so much. But it's amazing how much easier regular depression is than seasonal depression. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because, oh, like, you can be outside and you can breathe. And you can play and you can see people. You can open the windows. Oh, I know. Oh, my gosh. So everything is better. I'm glad that it's spring. Why don't you hit me with your mom moment. Oh, I would be delighted. Okay. Mine's short and sweet. I'm a music teacher, as I think people know, and I love music. And my daughter loves music, but she's finally getting to the age where she's like, remembering songs and requesting songs. And she's starting to sing along to songs, which is very cute. Oh, yeah. She says the last word of every phrase in a song. Yes. Yes. Just the last word. <laughs> yeah. And it's and she just screams it out. Like, she's very proud. But what she started doing this week is she's kind of, like, matching pitch, which makes Ooh. me, like, really excited. I'm like, oh, my God. So she's, like, actually matching the pitch of the, the recording and, like, singing, which I'm like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. So then, like, I'll try to sing along with her. And she goes, mommy, mommy, no. No, and she shakes her finger at me, and she's like, "Mommy, sh <laughs> she won't let me sing with her." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> oh my she gosh! Want to hear it. Get ready, get ready, because like when I was little, and my mom, my mom did a lot of singing when I was little, and I don't know what it was. I feel like it's this like, this like compulsion. Children hear their parents sing and are just like, "Ugh!" It's like hear, it's like hearing about how you were created. It's like it's like you're just like, "Ugh, stop!" Oh, I don't no. know why. It's so funny. So like, I hope that she grows out of that and that she actually does like singing with you. But like, <laughs> I hope I don't know. I, maybe I'm like a weirdo, but I mean, I used to do community theater with my father. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, yes. some people are like theater families and they do that kind of stuff all the time. So I don't know. I mean, but like, I was in church choir with my mom for years and i like i was constantly like uh, i don't know why it just was I, like it's this, probably a lot of kids yeah it, it's something it's i guess it's sort of like this this feeling of my parent is a human yeah it's like seeing your teacher at the supermarket <laughs> yeah it's just like it, it's it's weird it's like it's like when you hear your parent curse or something. It's like, oh, what? what? <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so, and I think singing, at least for me, was this very, like, personal intimate thing that I did by myself. 
And then every so often, like, my mom would join in and I'd be like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, you do that. (laughs) I do that all the time now. (laughs) So my kids trash me constantly. I mean, and it's very very cute, but I was just kind of like, oh, I okay. know. I want to do this. This is a thing for us to do together because this is what I do yeah. for a living, girl. <laughs> but she does like to dance with me, so oh, I'll take it. That's really sweet. Yeah. she'll And she'll that'll change over time because she'll realize that you can teach her so much. Oh, I will never so. teach her. <laughs> never even going to try. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's impossible to teach your children. No, I, I have like... a... I have a very close friend who is also a voice teacher, and she oh, has a daughter, same age as Rainy, and we were like, we'll just swap them. Excellent. You will you will swap them for other things, too. It won't just be voice things. It'll also be, like, every uncomfortable conversation that, that your kid is like, I don't want to talk to my mom about this. Okay, I'll go talk to this other mom about it. Then so I'm perfect. fine with that. So that works good. really well. Yeah. You got to have that friend. Tell me your mom moment. Oh, my goodness. So today was just idyllic it was beautiful and we we moved uh, about six months ago to this beautiful piece of property that is it's just it's set off from the road a little bit more than our previous house was which was right on the like busiest intersection in our town and it it's surrounded by these big pine trees and it's just we're like in the middle of the woods in this place um we can still hear the highway from our house like we're still in the middle of you know the town but but it's really like surrounded by woods. And so the kids, Joe, Joey and Emma, have become like obsessed with they become wood children. They're just like, we just want to go off into the woods, into the forest and explore. That's great though. Which is great. But when I'm outside, like working, doing whatever in the garden, in the yard, sometimes I realize I can't see them anymore. That's scary. And you know, like it's it, and the the woods just like they go until you hit like a backyard or a road or or the train tracks or like they just go until you hit something. And so I have no idea what direction they're going in, you know. And today Emma was like, "Mom, it's not that scary. We can always see the house. Like I'll show you where we go." And I was like, "Okay." So I follow her out into the woods and she's like, this is the stream. There's a bridge over it. And there's like a fallen tree over this little stream. Oh, and she's so like, come, cool. you have to hold here and then you can get across the log. And then we go to the other side and at the other side, there's this and this. And like, and they're showing me all their like secret hidey places. And I felt like a child in the woods again. Like, and it was just so magical. And when I was out there on the other side of the stream with them, which is like, a couple hundred feet from our property line, you know, I like turned and they were like, see, mom, you can see the house from right here. And I realized that from where they were, they could actually see the entire yard and they were fine. But because of all the trees, I couldn't see them. Right. So I just suddenly realized I don't need to worry about them when they're playing in the woods. They're actually just right here. They're fine. They can see me. They're obviously not going to go farther away because they get afraid if they can't see me. So it's fine. That's true. <laughs> they, they would probably get freaked out if they couldn't find their yeah. way back. So it just like totally changed my perspective. And, like up until then, I had been very much like, don't go so far. Don't go so far that you can't see the house. Bring the walkie talkies with you. I was just like so cautious about it. And then as soon as I saw it from their perspective, I was like, oh, this is fine. They can do this, whatever. So it was really, it was quite That's funny. That's amazing because I feel like yep. when I was little, my grandparents lived in a house that 
was like that. It was their backyard and then into the woods. And mm-hmm. like, I would love going to their house. My like, you know, we would like build things with sticks and like, you know, like get lost, but not really lost. And yeah. like, I feel like you're giving them that childhood that a lot of kids don't get anymore because the world is a scary place. And, you know, people like me, like we live in very close quarters with the houses right next to us. There are no woods in sight. So it's like, I feel like that's great that they're going to get that experience. I know. It's pretty great. So, so very, very happy for them. And I really enjoyed like going on an adventure with them today, which was really nice. I used that as my mom moment today because I wanted to segue in to what I would like to talk about, which is the source material for Into the Woods. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about the Brothers Grimm. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. Because, like, in every story in the Grimm's collection, if there is the woods, like bad things happen there. It's just, like, a really the constant theme, which is why Into the Woods was written. Anyway, I had wanted to cover some of the specific fairy tales, but then when I started doing some research, I realized that the fairy tales are actually not the most interesting part really? of the Grimm story. Yeah. So, I mean, interesting in that it was not what I imagined. Hmm. The actual events of their lives were not terribly interesting, but it was just so different from what I had imagined in my head. So... I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Brothers Grimm, about their most famous book, because they wrote a lot. They were very prolific. And then we'll talk about some some of the stories and some of the things that are in them, because I learned some of that the hard way recently. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. It was, a, it was a harrowing few nights of reading Grimm's fairy tales to my children. Um, so... <laughs> Oops. So basically, so there were there were two brothers, all right, Wilhelm and Jacob, right? Many people know their names because they have had many, many stories told about them. These were two pretty boring dudes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like so <laughs> it's amazing. Like like the the entire plot from the 2005 movie with Heath Ledger and uh Matt A uh, Matt Damon? Yeah. That movie is just, like, purely fictional. <laughs> I never saw it, so I don't know. I, I haven't actually seen it either, but it's about, like, these two guys who are, like, travelers who are, uh, like, swindlers and con artists, and they, like, go from town to town telling all these, like, outrageous stories, and then one day they, like, find a town that, like, is actually under a curse and they have to save the day. Like, <laughs> like just... No. I mean, it sounds too good to be true anyway. I know, right? Like, <laughs> also, they were both, like, insanely attractive, beautiful men. <laughs> like, actually, Wilhelm and Jacob were just regular-looking German men. So they were from a, like, middle-class, upper-middle-class family in what is now Germany. At the time, it was called Hanau. Ugh, that's not how it's pronounced. Hanau? H-A-N-A-U. Han- Hanau. Hanau, yeah. They were born in this town, and their parents had nine children, only six of whom survived, because that was pretty standard. The three children who died died around a year old, I think. They were all very little. They were infants. 
And these were the two oldest children. Their first child died. So then these were the second and third children that they had. And they were the, so they were the two oldest brothers. They had, they had eight boys and one girl, which is nuts. That's a lot of boys. So these were the two oldest and their father died when they were relatively young. I think when the, when Wilhelm was 11. So they had already had all their babies. So, so they had babies within like a, you know, 10 year stretch or whatever, all nine of their children. Um, so just like one year after another. And their family then just like went straight into poverty because now they didn't have a man making money. And and so the two brothers went to school at a good institution because their aunt paid for it. So she like helped them go to school. And then the older brother, Wilhelm, went and got a job as a librarian. Oh, near and dear. To yeah, your heart. I was like, oh. So they went and studied law at this school and then they decided to go and become librarians together. They were librarian brothers who studied philology. They were philologists, which is the study of written and oral tradition. That's I didn't even know there was a thing. Yeah, so like that's what they did. This was so this was in like the late 1700s early mid 1800s and so it was like 1810 1812ish and they started collecting all of these stories from people who they know most specifically from women because a lot of these stories were told by women while they were doing just these menial tasks like spinning flax which appears in a lot of their stories and and just these things that like weren't considered work but they'd have to be sitting around and they just tell these stories and so they went and then collected all these stories from from women or from travelers or for whom, from whomever and they really were like we want to capture and encapsulate the spirit and soul of Germany in a collection of stories. So they didn't write a single one of these stories. They are all stories they collected and heard from other people. And I didn't know that. I thought these were like two people who wrote stories. They did not. So they were really more like collectors than authors. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. They were librarians who were like, we want to put together a collection of all these stories. And the stories that they collected, the original edition which wasn't actually found until the 1900s because the original edition they gave to a friend who was like, oh, I'll put it in with this next volume of works that I'm putting out. And then he like lost it in a church. Great. And it wasn't found until like the, the early 1900s and is considered like the, the original text. And it, it had like 50 stories in it. And I think like the final, the final version has something like 150 stories in it. I think that the version I have has fewer than that but there are so many different editions and versions during their lifetimes i think they came out with nine different editions of the book it it sold like hotcakes and i i believe that Grimm's fairy tales has only been outsold by shakespeare and the bible i wouldn't be surprised it's nuts so and the stories obviously have been like reimagined a million and a half times so basically the original text that they wrote was never in any way, shape, or form intended for children. Ever. That's right. It was like, it was specifically for, it was a scholarly collection of 
oral history of Germany. Yeah, like like folklore of, of Germany. Yeah, it was folklore. And and it was really like they had originally collected this this like rustic, raw, sexual, like just it like really brutal, violent collection of stories that like were not suitable for children. And like no children were reading this. Then Christianity started to become really big, like in that area, and they got a lot of pressure to to change a lot of the stories and make them more accessible. These should be stories that families can read together, that people can read with their children, so that children learn to have pride in Germany. So they had to rewrite all of these stories to make them like more accessible. And somehow, even with all of the rewriting, there are still stories that today, when I read them to my kids, I have to change so many words on the fly because they are just like, whoa. <laughs> we have a book of, of Grimm's fairy tales from a woman in my church choir who, mm -hmm. she's she's not German. I She might be Austrian, but she speaks German. Mm -hmm. She gave us this book of Grimm's fairy tales at, at my shower and I was reading through <gasps> them and I was like, oh, Oh, no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to you really have to like filter when you read them. Um, but I do think like one of the like ongoing debates about Grimm's fairy tales is really like, is it good for children to have access to this clear world of fantasy that allows them to sort of experience in a safe way what pain and unhappiness and death and like all these things are with the comfort of being with their parent or whatever in a way that doesn't feel so scary and I think that that's a really interesting idea whenever I've read the stories to the kids I've just started last night when I, I read a couple to them I didn't filter them I read the the frog prince and I was just like I'm just gonna read this as it is and and like there are some eyebrow raising moments in it, but I was like, this is fine. This is fine. Like, like what's going to happen to them? Right. They might ask me like, what did you just say? But like, <laughs> but I'm sure that they didn't react like that anyway. Right. They didn't. They were, it was just like, it was like nothing. It was like nothing else. It was just like, we're reading a make-believe story with make-believe characters and it's fine. And so in that way, it's pretty interesting. So the brothers, there are a couple really interesting things about them besides what we've already talked about. Wilhelm, he got most of his stories and most of his best stories, I believe, like Snow White and Rapunzel and Little Red Riding Hood, came from this woman, Henriette Dorothea Wilde huh. was her name. Henriette came from this like storytelling family. And she had all these stories. And Wilhelm spent a lot of time collecting stories from her. And then he married her. <gasps> it was very sweet. So, yes. Yeah, so they got married. And so they lived together. And also Jacob lived with them. Jacob never got married. He just lived there. <laughs> with his brother and his wife. weird. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But I guess, like, I don't know. Well, back then, like, I feel like. I feel like back then, if you were from, like, a poorer class and you, like, didn't get married, like, you just lived with your family because, like, you couldn't afford to live by yourself. Yeah. And, like, and, and their parents had, uh, like, their father had died when they were very young. Their mother had passed away. So, like, really, this was, like, his yeah, closest makes sense, relative. And they worked together and they, like, it, like, why not live together? So if you go on Wikipedia, you can actually see a picture of the house that they lived oh, in. Cool. Um, it's very beautiful. 
they worked at a university together in, where were they? Gottingen? Gottingen? Gottingen. I don't know. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's the two dots over the O. I don't know. I'm really bad at German. I'm so sorry. Do you want me to say it? Sure. Go for it. How do you spell it? G, funny O, T-T-I-N-G-E-N. Gutengen. Yeah. Gutengen. Okay. Yeah. So they were, oh, it's you so got bad. It. So they were working at the University of Gutengen. Good for you. Pretty good. As librarians, Jacob was a professor and Wilhelm was the head librarian. And wait, nope, Jacob as professor and head librarian and Wilhelm was the was a professor only. And there was a decree from whoever the big person in charge politically in that area where they had to basically defer in some way, like they needed to agree with something that was being said by this political leader. And so they were part of this group of seven teachers who refused so they were called the Gutengen Seven <laughs> because they protested. They lost their jobs at the university. Wow. But they were so well-respected and so beloved because of all the stuff that they had, you know, at this point, they it was 1837. So their books had been out for a while. They they published in 1812 and through 1815 was when, like, this specific first edition of their fairy tales came out. So in 1837, like, everybody knew who they were. So they got really great jobs in Berlin. Whoa, cool. So they moved to Berlin and had a, a wonderful rest of their life. They were very prolific. They wrote a lot of things, most of which super boring. You would never read them because it was just about, like, the history of, you know, folklore and oral traditions within Germanic regions. And, you know, like, it was just, like, scholarly papers right. and stuff. But also they tasked themselves with writing a comprehensive, like the most comprehensive German dictionary. And by the time that they died, they had only gotten through like halfway through F. That's so sad. <laughs> so they never finished their dictionary. <laughs> Did anybody else finish it for them? I wonder. I don't know, actually. That's a really good question. Huh. So this collection had so many additions, it's silly. And with every additional addition, there were new stories added. There were, uh, who was it? I think Wilhelm was the was the editor of every one of the stories. So like, you know, he, he would go through and change them and, and update things. And they became more Christian over time with like Christian iconography. There's like in one of the illustrations, the uh, Cinderella's mother is represented as looking like an angel. In Little Red Riding Hood, there's a Bible on the grandmother's bed. So so there's a lot of like ways where it became much more hmm. religious themed over time. There's also a lot of a lot of stories where the fathers and the father figures are usually portrayed in really positive ways and the women are portrayed really poorly and people wonder if there's like some editorializing mm. going on <laughs> there with the Grimm brothers or if that was really how those stories were told like they maintained that they didn't do any editorializing that they just captured the stories as they were told I find that very hard to believe there were so many different editions of it that I'm sort of like eh, you you change things at some point it's fine I really wanted to start reading longer things to my kids. I was really tired of doing these like 
five, ten page, like, either board books or, like, picture books, but just things that, like, you'd read and you'd read it over and over and over again because they just want to read the same stories over and over and over again. And I was like, I'm going to pick up a book from downstairs. I was just like, I'm just going to go downstairs. I'm sure I have something down there that is age appropriate for you. And I came down and I have these two books. I have Grimm's Fairy Tales and then I have an edition from the same like publisher, but of like King Arthur Tales. And I was like, I think the fairy tales will, will land better with them. I'll start with that. And I just, I really didn't know that they were morbid, macabre. Like, just I just didn't know. I don't know how I didn't know. And what's funny to me is that it's that reading the original text now, I never realized how true to the original stories Into the Woods yes. is. Yes. Oh, yes. It's like remarkably true mm-hmm. to the yeah and i and i just didn't i didn't realize that because all of the versions we get are so sanitized and i always thought like oh into the woods really like takes us to a dark place nope they're just doing the stories the way they were written <laughs> so there's some really rocky stories i'm not sure how how many of them you've read and which ones you are familiar with off the top of your head but i'm familiar with all the ones that are in into the woods but that might be the extent of it yes and and snow white yeah so there are a lot of like other ones there's a moment in just about every single one of them where i go oh no <laughs> like so this is this has gotten very bad very bad very quickly so last night i read the kids the frog prince and i really was like this one's safe because i know this story this is an easy one. But in the Brothers Grimm's version of <laughs> the original <laughs> version of the Frog Prince, the princess is playing at a well and she's got this golden ball and she drops it into the well by accident and she's lamenting how she's lost her favorite plaything. And this frog comes along and is like, hey, I will go and get your ball back, but you have to let me come and sit at your table and eat from your plate and sleep in your bed and all these other things. And she's like, sure, yeah, give me my ball and I'll do all that for you, thinking that he won't be able to get it. He gets the ball. She's so excited that she's got her ball back. She just like runs away in joy. And he like finds his way back to the castle and is like, you promised. And her father... Because he's like a man in the story and is like, we need to follow the rules and be good. So you need to you need to do what you promised this frog. She's horrible to him, obviously. She then gets up to her room to go to bed and he's like trying to snuggle up with her. And she takes him and throws him across the room. Oh, my God. Throws him across the room and he hits the wall. And when he lands on the floor, he's beautiful, handsome prince and they get married. What? Wait, that's not how that story goes. Yes, it is. Here, let me. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. So page 85. Then she felt beside herself with rage and picked him up. She threw him with all her strength against the wall, crying. Now, will you be quiet, you horrid frog? But as he fell, he ceased to be a frog and became all at once a prince with beautiful, kind eyes. And it came to pass that with her father's consent, they became bride and bridegroom. <laughs> that happened real fast right so a lot of the times things happen really fast and these are like there's all this buildup. there's pages and pages and pages of buildup, and then like that's it and then it just like all works also, out i thought like, that wait isn't the frog prince that she has to kiss him so he becomes a prince again yeah no that's not how it originally goes at all <laughs> there's no kissing in their version of the story zero kisses interesting crazy 
So yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. So I don't remember all of the details of the goose girl. The goose girl? <laughs> is that what it's called? That is. It's called, it's called the goose girl. <laughs> there once was an old queen whose husband had been dead for many years and she had a very beautiful daughter. Here is a fun fact. In the original Snow White, the original before they edited it to be more Christian and more child-friendly, Snow White is the evil queen's daughter, not stepdaughter. Oh, God. So that changes things a little bit, right? Um, So <laughs> they changed a lot of daughters to stepdaughters oh. to make them more palatable. There's a lot of, like, you know, killing of children, of your own children. Like in Hansel and Gretel, it's a stepmother, but it was originally their mother. So in The Goose Girl, everything seems to be, like, going fine in the story. There is a horse that is carrying a princess to a city, and when they get there, the the horse, for some reason, is going to be executed. Oh. The girl is afraid that the horse would speak, because it was a speaking horse, and tell of her treatment of the princess. So, so like, there's, a uh, like, a handmaid that's going along with the princess to this to this final destination and the horse knows all about this woman's evilness and so she's so worried that the horse is going to talk that she decides it has to be killed and i'm thinking it's fine somebody's gonna save this horse no problem it's like the the princess's best friend she will save this horse. it's fine this is when this came to the ear of the real princess she promised uh the knacker which is i guess a stable boy or something a piece of gold if he would do her a slight service there was a great dark gateway to the town through which she had to pass every morning and evening would he nail up falada's head the horse in this gateway so that she might see him as she passed oh god no the knacker promised to do as she wished and when the horse's head was cut off he hung it up in the dark gateway in the early morning when she and conrad went through the gateway she said in passing alas dear falada there thou hangest what in god's name what did your children say when you read this oh i didn't i skipped that oh, part oh my god <laughs> like as soon as i saw that he was gonna, i was like and then the horse was sent away into the woods. <laughs> I just kept going because the, the story then went on past the horse. The horse was like a main character for the first half of the story. And then they just like kill him, put him up on a wall. I was like, this is insane. It's just, oh. So there's a lot of that really like, <laughs> oof, really wacky stuff. So the three spinning fairies, also super strange. Are you familiar with the three spinning fairies? Not at all. So the three spinning fairies is, I guess, a story about how if you're smart and pretty and manipulative enough, you can get whatever you want, which I don't think is a great moral. <laughs> it was very strange to read. I was like, the three spinning fairies. This is going to be about like fairies that spin. No. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. No story from this title is actually, like, in any way sweet. They're all bad. So, <laughs> so in this time period, there are characters constantly who are introduced as, like, the miller, the baker, the whatever. Like, they have professions. They're always men, and they have professions. But there are lots of women in lots of stories who spin. They're not called spinners. 
it's not a profession it's like a thing that they do with idle time and just yeah, like because women don't their, deserve you know that's professions. it ridiculous so so basically there's a girl and she's super duper lazy and this girl is just like i i i hate i hate spinning and the mother is beating her for not doing her work and the queen comes in and is like why are you beating your daughter her scream she said can be heard outside in the street <laughs> Her mother was ashamed to confess the truth about her daughter's laziness. And so she answered, I cannot get her to leave off spinning. She is forever at her wheel and I am too poor to keep on buying her fresh flax. Good save, mom. So the queen's like, I will take your daughter back to my house. She will spin all this flax for me. And if she spins all this flax for me in three days time, she can marry my son and become a princess. And in her distress of mind, went and looked out the window. There she saw three funny-looking women coming towards her. One had a big flat foot. Another had a large underlip that hung over her chin. And the third had a very broad thumb. (laughs) They stood still under the window. And looking up, they asked the girl what was the matter. She told them her trouble and they offered to help her. So basically, she says to these three women, who are fairies, I guess, that if they help her, they can come to her wedding. And be like her special guests. And so they spin all of the flax in this giant room for her. And the queen is so like beyond beyond impressed that she says, well, I will let you get married to my son. And, she, and the girl says, well, I have three cousins. I would like them to come to my wedding. So the three women are invited to come to the wedding. The wedding feast was beginning when in walked the three women attired in the most wonderful dresses. The bride greeted them and said, welcome, dear cousins. But the bridegroom could not help exclaiming, how came you to have such ugly friends? Oh, my God. Then he went up to the first and asked her what had given her such a broad foot. Turning the wheel, she answered. Then he went to the second and asked what had caused her to have such a large lip. Moistening the thread, she answered. Then he went to the third and asked what made her thumb so broad. Twisting the thread, she answered. Then cried the prince, horrified at these answers. My beautiful wife shall never go near a spinning wheel again as long as she lives. And so henceforth she was rid of the hated task of spinning. (laughs) What? What? That teaches me, like, that, that literally teaches you, like, be manipulative, take advantage of other people, don't do any work, and everything's going to work out fine. It'll just be fine. It'll be fine. It just, there are so many stories like that where, like, I'm waiting for the moral. I'm waiting for the thing that tells me, like, oh, the person got what they deserved and, like, you know. And so often it ends like that where, like, The main character comes out on top, but, like, should they? (laughs) (laughs) And and the stories are just so strange because, like, Rapunzel gets impregnated after, like, a one-night stand with the prince. Snow White, her stepmother, but was mother, wanted this guy to take her out into the woods and take out her lungs and her heart and bring – and, like, ugh. There's just so much. Too, Too much. They're real dark. I mean, I think it's really funny that, one, that these stories were not intended for children, that they were meant to be like a scholarly exercise in capturing and cataloging the oral tradition in Germany. But then somehow they became these like touchstones for everyone all over the world. It's been translated into over 100 languages. And 
At the same time, they had to be sanitized down so much, and they constantly get sanitized down. But we also sometimes will just read them as is to our kids. <laughs> like, I don't try to explain the ends of these stories to my kids because they make no sense. How could you? Like, it, like I mean, like, they do. They make some sense. But the sense that they make is very much a depiction of a very specific time in German history and a very specific culture that doesn't really exist today the way that it did then. And it's odd, I think, that we that we use this as a touchstone when it's so far removed from our right. experiences of, you know, and how we tell stories now, certainly. But yeah, it's really fascinating to look at the humanity within these stories and the inhumanity within these stories. Yeah. Also, fun fact that I didn't know. There's so many fun facts about Brothers Grimm. <laughs> This book was a piece of Nazi propaganda because they were like, everyone needs to have a copy of this book. It's all about Germany and being a good German. Oh, <laughs> like, that's weird and uncomfortable. Right. But then several years later, it was banned in Germany by the third Reich. Why? Because they were banning all the books. Oh. Like they like it was just like book banning left and right. And then they were like, no, we changed our mind. This book is not okay anymore. So just it has like a really fascinating history. These two brothers were fascinating people. They died within like four years of one another, I think. Aww. They lived together their entire lives. After Wilhelm died, Jacob was like a disaster and just was very sad for the remainder of his years because they were just like they were like the closest people that's very sad but i mean they lived pretty long lives for that time i think they lived to be in their i think they were around 80 whoa yeah like they were older guys they seemed to live pretty interesting lives all things considered and i love that they were librarians and yeah, so I'm really looking forward to sitting down and really reading all of them. And I know that the edition I have doesn't have all their stories. So I want to go and see if I can find like one of the editions with all of them collected. And this has like an actual German name. I will destroy it. It's Kinder und Hausmarken uh, with an umlaut over the A, M-A-R-C-H-E-N. That's Merken. Merken. So Hausmerken. Which translates to Children and Household Tales mm. is the name of it in English. And they had 200 stories that were part of that. But also in 1816 and 1818, they published two volumes of a collection of legends, German legends, and the collection included 585 stories. Oh my God. Yeah. So they like they did a lot of work. They collected a lot of stories. And they also, I think, wrote an autobiography. So there's a lot to be learned about these two dudes. So I just found them fascinating. If you have ever read a Grimm's fairy tale to your child unknowingly about <laughs> to step foot into very dark dark territory let us know because it's hilarious when it happens let me tell you <laughs> um so you can send us an email at opdwpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on our facebook page we are also on twitter and instagram at opdwpodcast yes and our music is by theo rosenberg so thank you theo 
Until next time, if your best friend is a talking horse and they're sentenced to death, you figure out a way to save that guy, all right?